Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for this morning. We're grateful for the saints gathered around the truth of your word. We'd ask that we'd be students of it, practitioners of it, in your son's name. Amen. When a verse like, children obey your parents in the Lord, is preached upon, besides the children squirming, the mothers, especially the mothers, smile to themselves, happy that the pastor is finally getting the let out and speaking truly convicting sermons. And then when the pastor speaks on wives obey your husbands, then the husbands smile to themselves, the wives fume. But we're all really pleased when we hear a sermon that uh, is about authority, object obeyed. We like the idea of joyful, instant obedience from our children. We would like it as husbands if our wives would smile, tug at their forelock and say, yes, my lord. And wear those little French maid outfits, uh, something like that. <laughs> Does that go on the CD? <laughs> Let it. We like hearing that. And we know how uncomfortable we get when we're the child, we're the wife. And especially verse 1 here in chapter 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That's sort of, generally, Romans 13 is about dealing with the state. Everybody goes to it for that because I think that's what it's largely about. But it sort of has this sweeping remark, the governing authorities... Let every person be subject to them. And it's almost like it reminds us of the nature of the presence of government in our life. What is government? What is the economy of government? Why government? Why aren't the libertarians right? Sorry, Brian. Um, why aren't this, why doesn't anarchy work? Well, because of sin in the world. And the economy of government, if you say, what what was that phrase, economy of government? Government is an economy because it takes the rule of the many and provides it to the few, okay, by whatever system, kings, democracies, whatever. You're trying to make singular the source of decision-making power in the civil arena so that you don't have everyone deciding all the time about everything. That's the nature of the economy of government. Which is the best economy? I don't, that's not really the point of the passage. Um, but let's just say that we're dealing with something that's in our lives on all fronts, be it parents or, or, or husbands or civil authorities, and here primarily civil authorities. But I want you to always remember when you hear a, a, a expectation of submission on your part that your first thought is not, how do I get out from under it? Or when don't I, the first question, whenever I speak on the obligation of the citizen, citizen Christian to the state, 
the first question on their mind, when don't I have to do this? It doesn't sound like the right attitude. It's like, when don't I have to obey my parents? What kind of wife would you be if you were always asking the pastor, when don't I have to obey my husband? When, when can I get away with disregarding what he says? What if you found out you were the husband? You found out your wife was asking those kind of questions of her friends in Bible study or something like that. that where's the line? Where, where, do I, where do I get to do what I want? How about your children? When do I get to do what I want? How do I get out from under this? Well, you don't feel really that I'm dealing with submission here. We're not having people pointed to submitting themselves to the governing authorities, which proves to me that they don't really understand what's going on in any of these authority relationships. I want you to go back and think about what, with the last verse of the previous chapter, what does it say? Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now put yourself in Paul's position. St. Paul was a citizen of the Roman Empire. You don't get much worse than the Roman Empire in terms of the moral turpitude of the leadership. You thought Bill Clinton was bad. You know, uh, Caesar at the time, this Caesar, uh, well, it's still in the reign of Claudius, and even Claudius's reign was not uh, pleasant. If you ever get a chance to watch uh, the BBC or PBS version of I, Claudius, don't let the kids watch it, but give you a sense of the type of political environment that St. Paul is writing these truths to you about. This is not a free country like America where you get to do what you want and not get hauled up on charges of disloyalty to, the, to Caesar because you didn't burn incense to his genius. Paul's writing in a very negative situation. He is wanting you to not be overcome by it. Now, when we're overcome by evil... It's not like, oh golly, the non-Christians killed us. Because in, in, in Revelation, it's always talking about being overcomers in a sense of being uh, even victims of persecution. You overcome by standing firm. So overcome is not winning the earthly battle. Being overcome is submitting yourself to the mindset of the world about things. Losing. Having them shape you. We, back in Romans uh, 12. You have, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So if you're overcome by evil, a lot of that is starting to think like the world thinks when the world has to deal with authority. But overcome evil with good. Then he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. This is an example of the good. This is the example of how you overcome. We see the same thing in Peter. We see the same thing in Peter. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That's right on the heels of being subject to the state, subject to your master. Then he says, Christ left us an example of how to be subject, how to overcome evil with good. 
And there's an understanding in the civil obedient environment. We're talking about how you represent the Christian life. It's not just being nice, because I think you're all pretty nice. It's how we are represented in these small little things of life. Do we have a series of rules that say, okay, anything over 23.3% taxation is immoral, therefore you can disobey the state? Our church does not have that kind of mentality. We're not going to provide you with anything that says this is when you get to disobey the state. The mentality is we're trying to overcome evil with good. And St. Paul tells us that being subject to the authorities is a goodness Not just a tactical goodness, but an ethical goodness. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Remember Nero. He's talking about Roman emperors, Roman governors, who had repeatedly thrown St. Paul into dark places, or had him beaten, and eventually have him killed. And if there ever was, any of you who are rebellious in your mindset, you'd have to ask yourself, when, oh, when would my mindset ever get persecuted? Because I would always come up with a reason to rebel before it got to the point of persecution. I mean, we have people talking about rebelling if they require your kids to go to public schools. We have people talking about rebelling if they want to take your handgun away from you. When would you ever get persecuted? You'd never get to that point because you would already be dressed in your fatigues and green stuff on your face and crawling through the bushes, um, taking out federales. What kind of mindset do you have? You have a worldly mindset. You don't have a Christian mindset. Goodness. Overcoming evil with good, overcoming the evil state with good, comes from recognizing that their authority is from God. Therefore, he who resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So there. You go home, change out of your fatigues, and you say to yourself, but Evan, this is Idaho, and I'm really manly. I have a gun rack in my truck. If I had a truck, I'd have a gun rack. There's some things that we, that we sort of think, no, God doesn't understand. I've got to prove something here. I've got to prove to my old lady that, that, that I would be happy to die for tax issues. Or be happy to die for some inconsequential thing about school choice. There have been many idiots before you. You're not going to become famous for being just like one of them. We're trying to win here for holiness, and we need to understand what God thinks about it. And what I don't know if you feel at all threatened by the fact that He is the one that put this into place called government. And if you resist it, you resist God. You don't resist the government. So, don't you think that the kind of person that is looking for that opportunity, looking for that excuse to disobey the government, is risking an awful lot because the line is not, oh, so I uh, overshot a little bit. So I, I disobeyed them a little early. 
No, 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 no. When you miss it, you disobey God. You will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of him who is in authority? Then do what is good. You will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God to execute his wrath on the wrongdoer. In case you missed a whole bunch of that, there is from God, by God, what God has appointed, judgment, God's servant, God's servant, his wrath. This is a critical issue. And it might help to understand, well, people want to look at this and go, well, okay, if, he's, if he is instituting what I think are moral laws, right? Because you say, he's a, not a terror to good conduct. Okay, so now it's back to me. I am the God in this circumstance. I am the true ruler in my mind of what goes on in Caesar's mind. So if Caesar ever does anything that I don't think is a good law, good conduct, I don't have to obey him. You're just looking for a reason to put yourself as Caesar for your life. And this is the problem. You don't understand what government is for. What did God institute? He did not institute government as a moral arbiter. The state is not there to make something holy or unholy. What's it there for? What is the economy of government for? Removing chaos from society. For, the, for God's love of mankind, here is man sinning, right, from the beginning. It doesn't take long when you have sinful social animals to realize that God's mercies to us have instituted government. To keep the, the calamity of putting a bunch of people in one room without a government. Because they're all going to be doing exactly what you're thinking of doing when you're thinking of reserving to yourself the right to choose when they have a good law. When you reserve that right to you, you are just a source of chaos. You're not recognizing what God instituted government for. He didn't institute the speed law to make 55 or 65 a moral property. It's not. It's a chaos issue. It's an order issue. God has given us governments to keep our societies free of chaos. We're thankful we're not in Prince George's County. We're thankful that our wives don't have to wear a flak vest to go to the grocery store. And we're praying and wanting to see the government remove that chaos. That's what it's there for. That's the good that it's manifesting. And when I reserve to myself, as if you were some sort of you know, wise man of all wise, I, you know, well, that speed law or that, uh, that issue is really for st st stupid people, people that are not as bright as I am. Or You're going against the very nature of what government is. Government removes from you, the citizen, the right to make the decision in order that all of our decisions would be the same. So we'd all be in on the right-hand side of the road, driving within a certain framework of speed. 
It removes that decision from you. You don't have it anymore. That's what God took from you when he made government. You don't have it. You can't reserve it to yourself. It's not yours. God has instituted government. What he instituted was the joint decision from a joint source. You want to change the speed laws? Run for Congress. That's how you do it. You don't change the speed laws in your own car. I think I always bring up speed laws because I think it's where we all find ourselves measuring this. He is God's servant for your good. If I reserve to myself I am missing the point. I am believing that I am not an agent of chaos when I reserve to myself. Remember, the economy of government is the, the singular or the limited ruling over the, the broader group, the, the small group ruling over the broader group. And when you decide that you get to decide what's going to go on in your life, then you're denying the government exists. You're denying government exists. Because that's what it was there to do. Now, God has given the sword to the state. So the sword, and you can get into all sorts of arguments about capital punishment or what, what laws are legitimate for capital. That's not the, the point here. The point is our heart, that we realize this is a good that we should be clinging to in order to overcome evil. That's what Paul told you in the previous verse. And so he discusses this good that a lot of us, because we're wild and woolly Westerners and we like our guns hung low, well, being a Westerner does not change the nature of your salvation. Some people were homosexuals before they got saved. You just were a Westerner. So you're a little precious attitudes about your independence and how quick you are on the draw and how fast you can drive your car without wrecking it. Uh, very, very nice. And the homosexuals struggle with something else. Goodness. God told you to knock it off. God told you to overcome evil with good. And he's telling you what the good is. And I don't want you sneering at the homosexual if you will not obey the law. Because you're not doing good either. You're resisting what God has appointed. We get so huffy. Remember good Christian sins? This is a good Christian sin. It's like malice and gossip and some of the other things that, that Christians do. Um, you know, we, we like picking on the abortionist and the homosexual um, because, and we pick on the homosexuals more than we pick on the heterosexually promiscuous because, oh, Lord knows, some Christians get caught up in that. So we, we don't want to speak too strongly about it. No, we want to be good We've been taught how Christianity is the production of righteousness, out of unrighteousness, through this whole book. And now it's going to tell you what is a thing that is promoted in you as good. And you're going to be looking for, you know, getting around Paul 101. How do I get around this? Or where can I find the loophole in this passage? Oh, like where it says, oh, good conduct, not too bad. Uh, then do what is good, you'll receive his approval. What if he requires, what if he did? I don't want to hear any what ifs out of you. 
after the sermon. Because you've got a lot of planning to do about how you're going to wonderfully overcome evil by the goodness that you are going to do to the governments that surround you. You've probably are in this democracy, this affluent state, you are probably not put upon. Al was sharing with me last night, we were sitting out on the street, Main Street, and you know, we talking about getting a ticket for having your tags not renewed, you know? That could be pretty frustrating. Then you realize, I live in a town where that's what the police officers have to do to keep themselves busy. We are surrounded by efficient government. For all the inefficiencies out there, we live freely. We worship freely. Our houses are warm. The grocery stores are filled because the government runs the interstate trucking circumstance. And because the ships come in. Because George W. goes to the unions, the longshoremen, and tells them, no, 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 get out of the ships. Because the government is going to step in to keep us functional. Thank God for it, and spend your time not thinking how you and your little government, because all of us, especially us men, and I'm not going to blame you women, I'll blame you for other things, but the, the men, the men, ah, oh, we are all, especially you young guys, where you're just starting to get those few, first few prongs of the rack, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm a two-point elk. Well, there's some seven-pointers in this room. We're going to take you down. Okay, we're, we're uh, and we all know this, and we all know that we're our own little fiefdom, our own little herd of cows, that we're, no offense ladies, but our own, <laughs> our own little herd, we're going to protect them, and, and we somehow think that if, if they step, if they get in my space, if, if I don't, you're like the barons of England, or more like the barons of the little Germany, it's before the state of Germany. You know, little kings, little duchies, little... Baronets, okay, that's little baron, baronet. That's what you are. And every little baronet thinks that he is supposed to be in charge of his life on all fronts. Everybody likes to be in charge and nobody likes to be told what to do. Remember that at the beginning. Everyone likes the sermons that tells your wife in your little duchy to treat your little two-pronged world with uh, respect and obey you. Well, you've just been told by St. Paul, who's got quite a rack, apostolic rack, if you want, to um, straight up and fly, fly right. You've got to know when you are just a baronet. There's a king in this universe... And he has appointed kings over you. Now, verse 5, Therefore one must be subject, not only to avoid God's wrath, because there is, there is getting smacked upside the head. One, going to jail. That potential, if you actually get caught in your little tax dodge, or you're driving too fast, or drinking too much, or whatever else you thought was your freedom in Christ, but was not a, within the law-abiding arena. There is the wrath of a state that could come down on you, but you're not supposed to obey merely because you could get caught. 
the illustration that you should keep in your mind is say, okay, I know a friend of mine works for the CH, uh, IHP, told me that the IHP officers have a conference in Twin Falls this weekend. There, are, will, there, there will be no highway police on the roads between here and Boise this weekend. I'm driving to Boise this weekend. Other than slowing down to not go into the ravine, other than personal safety issues, how fast am I going to drive? I know there are no speed limits, really, because there is no punishment out there. I can't get caught. Do not merely obey for the sake of wrath, but for the sake of conscience. What's conscience? You say, well, my conscience doesn't bother me. You have no conscience if your conscience doesn't bother you. Because what, you know, I've mentioned this before, it means with knowledge. Con, with, science, knowledge. Now you've been told. You know now why the government makes the rules. is to create an order in society, and if I would have that order and pray that God would support our kings and our rulers, I've got to be ready to submit to the laws that they give for conscience's sake. These are the small things of God's ministry. Look what it says in verse 6. For the same reason you also pay taxes. Small things, right? This is not thou shalt not murder. And look, the U.S. government doesn't want me to murder either. I am a real, I'm a subject to my nation's standards on murder. And theft, I'm against that too. And so the state and Evan and God are all on the same page when it comes to theft. But he just raised my taxes. Isn't that immoral? Somewhere. No, pay all of them their dues. For the same reason you should also pay taxes. Verse 6. For the authorities are ministers of God. Attending to this very thing. This this actual thing called taxation is their job from God. Paul doesn't leave you a whole lot of room here, folks. Okay? I know some of you are going to still insist on, I'm going to get around this passage, or I'm going to find where the, the final barrier is. And you're not going to listen to me saying, look, find out what life you're going to live in goodness on this side of the barrier. Oh, I know there is one. I've been in discussions where we've explored that sort of aspect philosophically. I know there is a barrier. I know there is a point. But I don't think Americans need to be thinking about where that point is. Americans need to be thinking about being law-abiding citizens. Because you pay all of them their dues, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. It's not merely driving at the correct speed limit past the IHP officer and flipping him off as you go by. Okay? You were under the correct speed, but you were disrespecting the officer. Respect to whom respect is due. When you go into the courtroom, you say, Your Honor. Hopefully you won't be in a courtroom. Other than Brian, which is part of his job. (laughs) 
Honor to whom honor is due. This is the goodness that you're supposed to live in. If you understand why it's there, you understand that the absence of pain is not the presence of allowance. You want your children, think about it this way, do you want your children or your wife to consider that once you're out of town, the rules, because your, your ability to discipline it, they can do what they want? You want that? You want them to honor your authority. That sounded a bit too much like Cartman, I realize, but I never watched that show. But I've heard the commercials. Respect my authority? Is that the... An evil show, from all reports. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Now, I've quoted this verse in my life, and I've heard it quoted many times in terms of somebody says, well, Evan, what do you think about debt? Well, I said, this calls to mind a certain verse. Owe no man anything except the debt of love. Um, so it probably, and I would go on about, you know, well, it could be applied there, I suppose. But I don't think St. Paul's writing about that. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. He says, he seems to be saying that love replaces the need to feel an indebtedness to the law. The debt that we sometimes have in our society. You ever feel that? Well, she gave me something. I probably should give her a gift back, right? Because the rules are that if you, if you get a gift, you should probably send a thank you note at least, if not a responsive gift that probably escalates the amount of money that was spent. We have all the rules that we, well, they invited us over. We should probably invite them over. Debt, social debt. You have a debt to the law. You have a debt to manners. You have all these debts that you're trying to live your life of jumping through the right hoop, and we're not supposed to be motivated by a debt to ethics. Not just manners, but ethics themselves. I don't say, well, i got to do this. The thing that is supposed to be motivating you not only to obey the law, but to be well-mannered and to be ethically pure is love. Because... You fulfill the law if you love your neighbor. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in, in this sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to, its to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. That I know that when I prime my heart with love, when I get love from God and the grace of God and the Spirit producing fruit in me, I know the fruit will be, in many ways, very similar to the well-mannered, law-abiding, ethical, good citizen. But not because you had this list of things on your refrigerator, you brought home from church, and you're going, oh golly, I've got to get all this done. I have a debt that I have to pay. What do I do? The people in your minds, maybe some of you are here, that in your minds are going, okay, righteousness. Well, what am I supposed to do? Don't you have a list? Doesn't this church have a list? 
Also lists in the Bible. We had one last week, but we're not looking at it as lists. We're looking at it as why are these things not being produced in you? Why aren't you like this? Jesus takes people that are like bad, if that's, I'm not using it in the popular sense of like bad, like bad, not that way. They're like badness. They're as bad individuals and makes them good individuals. That's the nature of Christianity, right? Forgives your sins, gives you grace and love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness, gives you those things. Don't view the Christian life as a series of debts. Don't even view, looking back here at the early part of Romans 13, saying, oh, I don't... Once you say, I don't want to obey, but pastor got KB really... It was hard. I couldn't get around it. Now I'll have to think about it until I get around it. But until then, I, I really feel like I have a debt to hanging over me. No. You know, if you were nice, you'd think of this naturally. Because when the officer tells you, well, drive safely and stay under the speed limit. Yes, officer. The natural, loving, well-mannered, ethical thing to do is to not only say, yes, officer, but do it. Because you love people. And if your mom asks you to do something, you say, yes, mother. Not because you have any debt to her. Oh, you may have that if someone wanted to add it up. You say, yes, mother, and you do it because you're just that kind of person. It's called a Christian. In case you wonder what kind of church you were in, it's a Christian church. Not a Muslim church, not a Jewish church, not a church of Christendom, which has all the excuses that you can get around righteousness. You do the right thing because you are a right person. And the question you should always ask yourself is when you're arguing against doing the right thing and you know you're arguing against it, or you're doing the bad thing, you should ask yourself, why am I not naturally good? Why am I not naturally loving? Why isn't love producing things for me to do? There's a lot of people in this congregation that are pretty regular in their attendance. How is your love towards them and how has it expressed itself towards them? How are the people you work with received? Are, the obje- are they objects of your love? How is the state that stands around you and provides the freedom from chaos? How does it receive your love? Do you have any evidence that you've had any love? Besides this, you know what hour it is. It is full time now for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Now, I don't know if St. Paul is talking eschatologically here. But whatever the case, here we are 2,000 years later. And whatever your eschatological views of the imminence of the Lord's return, either then or now, you're going to be dead in very few years. Okay? Believe me, those of you who are young, they start to go by like lightning. Okay? I just have to hang on to the pulpit because it's going by so fast. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. 
Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves becomingly as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. In case you've got, I don't revel, I don't drink. Uh, I'm not debauched, I'm not licentious. That's good enough. Uh, What's that, four out of six? Because there's a few quarrels in my life, a few jealousies in my life, but four out of six. Honest, honey. I was only sleeping around 20% of the time. Let's conduct ourselves becomingly and not according to a sense of church debt where you're trying to fit in to the way this kind of church is and you're looking for the signals and what should I be doing and and how do I work uh, into the the kind of uh, culture that's here. Well, no, don't worry about that because we have no debts. You have no debts. You're not supposed to function in debt terms. Owe no man anything. You are actively... They don't push you, put you under a certain obligation. You are just extending yourself into those arena of child-rearing, citizenship, society, functioning with each other, in many ways that look just like someone who is paying off their debts. But you're doing it. You know, I've probably quoted this before, but you know, Lewis's definition of courtesy as love in trifles Realizing that even down to the small things that you do, putting the extra fork by the plate out of the 15 extra forks that, that are out there, when you're throwing a dinner, you're not doing that because you owe it to society. You're giving another small little gift to your guests. You're doing something good. You're extending a kindness in the manners of society. You're contending, when you, when you obey the speed laws, you're expen- extending a kindness to the society, the task God has for government. You have helped keep chaos at bay. You want a reason to keep chaos at bay? Well, your kids might live longer. Two, the gospel could go out. That's why we pray for those in authority. Tells us in Timothy. Because God desires that all men repent and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's why we want government to work well. Are you doing your part? You're acting in love towards everyone else? Don't do these things, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on Jesus Christ. He set us an example. I didn't see him leading some sort of guerrilla insurgency against the Sanhedrin or the Romans. He died for us. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He trusted to him who judges justly. You say, is the government ever bad? You bet the government's bad. You bet Caesar was bad. They will answer to their Lord. God will judge them. I just have to be contributing to the good needs of society, government. If it's not something that concerns you, political science, concern it. Concern yourself with it in terms of the family. If you're a kid, you know why your parents have the rules? It's because they're just really tight people. 
Okay, no, that's not it. The reason they have the rules is so that there's some household order. Do you want to bless other people or do you want to curse them? Do you want to disrupt their lives or do you want to benefit them? Are you loving? Loving does not wrong their neighbor. You're the child. Do what it is necessary to contribute to the peace of the home. Obey your parents. Don't just say, oh, we're going to have, this, this house would run a lot better if I were in charge. So we're having, a counter, we're having an insurgency. We're going to rise up. The gorillas are going to capture the parents. And the kids are going to run the thing now because we've got better ideas. No, that's not the way it works. Do what you're told. Oh, remember that makes the wives feel real good because they're telling the kids, it makes my life a lot easier, Evan, when you tell the kids that. I'm thankful. Good sermon. Okay, now make your husband's lives a little easier. Okay? I'm sure they'd much rather have some sweet, Christian, loving respect of their authority rather than the French-made outfit. Okay? I know you're cute, and I know you count on that to get, a lo- get away with a lot of murder in your society, but God wants you godly. God wants you loving your husband and obeying your husband because it's loving to do. It's good. Well, that's the end of the passage. I'm sure that there are a lot of ways to get around any one of those comments, and I'm just going to take down names of the people that attempt it. <laughs> just jot them on the back of one of these sheets and bring them up next Sunday, just for prayer. Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we're grateful. You are kind to us and forbearing towards us. We are such rebels. We'd ask that love in us, brought to us by your Holy Spirit, would inspire us to do that which is good and to overcome the evil with the good that love gives us. Give us great wisdom and understanding as to what you're trying to do by bringing government into our lives on all levels. We're grateful for it. Lord, help us honor it. In your Son's name, amen.